Hello, and welcome to The Scott Mize Show, a podcast focused on health, diet, bodybuilding, and philosophy. I interview experts, doctors, coaches, and N equals one case studies to answer your questions about improving health, achieving your best physique, and making sustainable progress. We'll cover topics from carnivore and ketogenic diets, to bodybuilding, to life philosophy, and everything in between. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Optimal Carnivore. A lot of people ask me about organ meats. Do you need to eat organ meat? How, how do I eat organ meat? And Optimal Carnivore was created by carnivores for carnivores. They created a unique organ complex from grass-fed animals in New Zealand. It includes nine different organs, liver, brain, heart, thymus, kidney, spleen, pancreas, and taking just six capsules is the same as eating an ounce of raw organ meat from the butcher. I've been personally using Optimal Carnivore for years. My wife and I, I use it almost every single day. It's great when I don't have fresh organs available, don't feel like eating them, don't feel like cooking them, or if I'm traveling, I know I can get a variety of super high quality organs daily. Um, and they have lots of different products from their beef liver product to their organ complex to their brain product and their, their bone and marrow product. They have excellent products filled with highest quality ingredients and you can get 10% off your order and support the show by going to the link in the description of this episode and using the code carnivore10 at checkout. That's carnivore10 to save and support the show. Thank you. Jordan Power is an internet entrepreneur and the president of Gray Smoke Media, a marketing firm that drives billions in revenue for top law firms, politicians, and e-commerce giants using unorthodox bespoke tactics. Last year, his chronic disease of 18 years, ulcerative colitis, had progressed to the point of him requiring surgery to remove a foot of his colon. By completely overhauling his diet, introducing specific supplements, removing all chemicals from his house, he was able to put his disease in total remission. He's recently authored an ebook titled The Freedom Blueprint, 35 Remarkable Strategies to Conquer Chronic Illness, which he outlines his course of action and how he did it. Welcome to the show, Jordan Power. Hey, Scott. How are you? Good, good. Um, so yeah, you were just talking before we started about um, your backgrounds and your family. So I'd love to start there. Like how... How how were you raised? How are you introduced to food and medicine? And um, you know, we can go from there into some of your yeah. journey over the last eighteen years. Well, I'll start by saying I ate well as a kid. My mom would kill me if I didn't say that. Uh, I grew up <laughs> yeah. in a household of uh, urologist, which is a penis doctor. People are wondering, uh, and that was actually my first summer job. Was I worked in my dad's office at fifteen, and my job was to fold the letters, telling guys how to shave their scrotums. And I never knew what they would do in the rooms. I never understood what was going on. I just know that the guys would kind of, every Friday was vasectomy day and the guys would kind of slowly <laughs> walk out of the room. Um, and <laughs> I grew up in that, that world, that world of like, it, you know, it was a crazy time period where, uh, I don't know how it is in the United States, but in Canada, it used to be heavily regulated that the pharmaceutical reps could not schmooze, let's say, doctors. Um, and for, they kind of changed that sometime when I was about maybe 14, but before that, it was a glory period where we would, you know, go to the Bahamas and we'd go on all these trips and we would sit courtside at NBA games. 
And um, there was never any pressure, of course, to prescribe the drug from the pharma rep. And I grew up around pharma reps. I grew up going to conferences with pharma reps. I grew up uh, just in that whole world where my dad would give me, you know, squishy balls with different products on that. And I think there's a programming that goes on there that's really intense that you don't realize is happening, especially when you're, you know, and you're very impressionable young kid. You just think, oh, this is, you know, these are the good people. These are the people coming to take care of us and and save us. And at the same time, you know, I have a father that's a urologist. I have a mother that's a general practitioner. And, um, you know, they're, they're working like dogs and I'm hearing stories after stories. And at around the time I was about 18 years old, I went on three doses of Accutane. I had really bad cystic acne. I tried everything. The first dose, I was fine. Second dose, I was fine in these sort of sort of cycles. And then the third cycle, I became extremely sick. I was going to the washroom and probably an hour at a time. And I would look down the toilet. I mean, this is pretty graphic for people, but it's just what it is. It's probably, it would be like an, a liter of blood in the toilet. Oh. And I dropped probably 25 pounds uh, in about two months, I would say, eating normally. Wow. Yeah, just because everything was going through me. I looked really, really sick. And of course, um, when I tell, because I'm a gay guy, when I tell this to gay guys who are brainwashed, uh, they think that's great. They always say like, oh, that sounds, that sounds like a really great diet. Oh, you know, the, God. The, the Ozempic crowd is what we'll call them. Yeah. Say. You probably so, didn't have 25 pounds to lose. <laughs> no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty lean. You can see right now. Yeah. This is yeah. Usually am. And um, so I was extremely sick. I was admitted to hospital over and over and over. And um, I knew it was bad because when my initial stool sample came back, my mom called me just crying on the phone and was explaining to me that it was ulcerative colitis. You know, obviously the first thing you do is you Google and you say, hey, so what is was it what is ulcerative colitis? And you're and you're looking up, you know, this is my life, and suddenly you're swallowing 12 pills a day and squirting steroid enemas up your ass and your life dramatically changes in a period of time. Um, and then um, and then that kind of continued uh, battling the disease for really, I'm 36 now. It was really, that was 18 years ago that I initially got my diagnosis. Wow. And um, can you talk about like what you went through since then? You know, how ulcerative colitis evolved in your life and and you know what are some of the things you tried and you know how you how you came about finding finding solutions eventually sure so i'm at this point you know i'm at, when i'm 18 i'm surrounded by two doctors and then it's just referral referral scan scan prescription prescription meet this person listen to this talk and nowhere and I'm really not trying to follow my parents here, but it's like nowhere in that discussion was there anything about like what's going in your body. Um, and I'm not just talking about food because uh, we were eating quite well. I'm talking about beauty products. I'm talking about things like sleep affecting your microbiome. I'm talking about all these different elements, so, you know, the total package of health. And um, so what, what I went to all these doctors and, and the, the conversation when I would have a flare was almost always the number one prescription was obviously the actual prescription, but the, the second prescription was to eat white bread. So uh, Wonder Bread. 
that poison. So the logic behind that is that the starches will, you know, kind of create a bulk in the stool and it will be harder to, to it'll be, you'll kind of stop the flow of, of diarrhea. And um, they told me that, uh, then it was just, if the pills aren't working, try more, um, try this other medication. I probably cycled through four or five medication, multiple hospital visits over a period of time. And then around the time of my 20s, like say mid-20s, I was still eating really well and exercising. The disease kind of went into a stage of remission where it would kind of flare up here and there, but it wasn't at all at the level of when I initially started. And uh, the doctors would just say, oh, you know, that's the medication working and you're good, you know, just stay on your medication. But it was a lot of money and it was a lot of pills and it didn't make me feel good. And I, def I, I definitely felt my hair thinning and other side effects, the steroids would make my face look like a pumpkin. And I just thought, you know, I don't really want to live like that. And so I cycled on and off the pills. I would sometimes go months where I wouldn't take any pills and I'd be fine. And then about two years ago, I went to South America with two friends of mine. And the way this disease works is that it's sort of like a fast moving train and that like it's very slow to, it's really hard to slow it down. Like, you know, when you hit the brakes on a train, it takes a while for it to stop. And something happened in South America that I now believe was a combination of alcohol, uh, low sleep and partying, uh, seed oils, um, you know, heavy, heavy pesticides, herbicides, uh, meat that's being fed seed oils, just a combination of things that it just started this insane train in my body that really took me back to when I was 18 years old, same kind of feeling where I was going to the washroom on my vacation, probably 14 to 18 times a day on average, couldn't do any sightseeing. Um, and the other thing about this disease that's really really terrible is that it starts once it gets going it's because it's an autoimmune disease it kicks off uh, a bunch of arthritis symptoms so you are bloated you're shitting all day you're lethargic you also have arthritis where it's very hard for you to walk you know constant kind of chronic pain and then because we know so much about sort of the gut brain connection your mood plummets so all this is happening i mean you'd, you'd be depressed if all that was happening to you anyways but all this is sort of happening to you. And then also you feel this dramatic drop in your mood where it's really tough to regulate your mood and it's really tough to get up in the morning and sort of anxiety and depression and you're battling all that. So it's just this like crazy amount of things that are thrown at you uh, while you're on vacation, you know, trying to enjoy yourself. So I got back to Toronto and went back on the pharma train as, as quickly as I could, right? Desperate, so multiple steroid enemas. Uh, multiple medications. There was biologics. There was all these different things. And then for a period of about six to eight months, I I couldn't get ahead of it. I couldn't stop the train. I was extremely sick. And my doctor sat me down and said to me, uh, we don't know what to do. And we're thinking the best way to get this under control is to do a surgery next month where we cut out about 14 inches of your colon. And um, and then you, I wouldn't have a bag, but it was sort of like, I mean, it sounds really sick, but it was like they were going to just take the tube and reconnect it to my rectum. And I guess you would have trouble shitting the rest of your life or something. Yeah, sounds rough. Yeah. yeah. And I just looked at him and I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And he was like, well, 
you don't really have any other options at this point. You know, we sort of exhausted everything. And I left. And the way I live my life is very heterodox. I'm an internet entrepreneur. I worked in the media, so I know it's all fake. And I just don't really <laughs> believe a lot of the systems we we kind of operate in because I've opened so many boxes and seen how how the corruption and sort of that there's not a lot of money and integrity. So I went home and I sort of was like, this can't be right. Like, you know, why would my body be attacking itself? Like that's, it's not like that serves any sort of biological function. And uh, the first video I saw on YouTube was a guy named Paul Saladino, which is, uh, I don't know if many people know him, but he's the carnivore MD kind of lives this great cool life in Costa Rica. I just serves. And he was really at that time was eating a very restrictive diet of basically it was um, sort of, you know, organic meats, raw dairy, you know, your cheeses, your milks, uh, your fruits. He had raw honey. And that was kind of it. And I thought, well, let me just stick with that, you know, like about 10 foods. Let me just try to stay there almost like a quasi elimination diet. Let me just kind of live in that realm and started that. And then just stayed on YouTube. It was like, you know, you get in that cycle of the algorithm. And I just kept watching more and more and more videos of different people. And the biggest thing that really kicked off all this was studying places in the world where they don't have the diseases that we battle on a daily basis, The mostly the autoimmune diseases. So there's a place in uh, Papua New Guinea called Katava. And um, yeah. they don't have electricity. Yeah, modern communication or really antibiotics. And um, even their teenagers don't have acne, which is another sign that something's off. And um, there are instances of heart disease, stroke, chronic ailments, you know, extremely rare numbers. And I started looking into that and I started to look into the blue zones around the world. And I sort of had a moment, I remember just sitting in my living room where I was like, and I don't mean intentionally, but I sort of just was like, are we being poisoned? Like, are we being like, poisoned on a level that is... Yeah hidden um you know some of the conspiracy types will will go into the realm of that it being intentional but that wasn't where i was coming from it was that like oh no we need to feed this many people and we need to keep this machine running and you need seed oils because they're cheap and you need these things you know antibiotics because they're an easy way to get someone through the medical system and um and that was the period when i just started uncovering everything which i can kind of get into here I've, i've been talking through your whole podcast but um i can kind of explain to you kind of where i went from that but it was largely that um i realized i needed to get all the poison mentally too out of my life and so i went on this journey of the past year i overhauled my mental health i overhauled my physical health i overhauled all the products in my house that I eat and all the products in my house that I put on my body or, you know, laundry, dishwasher, everything. And within, uh, I would say about 90 days, the disease had gone away so much that my doctor, when I went for a colonoscopy, brought me into a room and was like, he looked like he saw a ghost. And I was, I was in my head, I was thinking, oh fuck, was that like colon cancer or something? And he, he, he looked at me and he was like, it's gone. And he's like, I don't know what happened. And I said to him, I said, oh, well, I started to kind of explain to him all the things I did and stuff. And his reaction was very telling. It was, no, it's probably the new medication that's working. It's like, Only oh. explanation. 
Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I kind of walked out of there and I remember it was a really sunny day and I sort of looked at the sky and I, and in my head, I was thinking, oh my God, I had, I, I've been given another life. Like I've been given a brand new life and, um, I better not waste it. I better kind of just from here on out, I better, I better kind of grasp every opportunity moving forward because most people with diseases, they don't get, it doesn't go away. It's just battling it until the day they die sort of thing. Yeah, I, I definitely want to talk about some of those changes you made. But before doing that, I want to talk more about your mindset as you were going through this. Um, like how, you must have had a tremendous amount of resilience, first of all, to to keep fighting and keep working through this and become so successful in other areas of your life while battling this disease. Can you talk about like, you know, how it affected you mentally, personally, socially, and all of those things? Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, there's there's a I've never been a spiritual person. I, you know, I would consider myself agnostic religiously, but there's a spiritual person I follow on YouTube who's quite controversial. Her name is Teal Swan. And um out of all the different people that I've connected with over my life, you know, I had a great therapist uh, who also kind of turned my life around, but she's one of the people that really fixed my mind. And one of the things she speaks about is that behind every person that has achieved a level of greatness, whether that's in politics, sports, whatever, is trauma. Uh, and trauma is kind of this fire that keeps you going at, at two, three in the morning. And I wouldn't be the person I am today career-wise or probably been able to battle something like this and take it on and other aspects of my life if I didn't have deep trauma as being the gay guy that was bullied all through my teens. You know, I had chronic acne. I was, you know, kind of an outcast with a lisp. I would get beat up at school. My parents would have to keep coming to the school because, you know, they'd be calling me all these, you know, names for being gay. and. um and that formed me into the person I am today. And I really do believe that we look at so many t things in our life as, you know, horror, whether that's, you know, your dog dying, a family member dying, this friend betrays you, this business person betrays you. And she really makes you realize that like, yes, those things are bad, but there are also opportunities to grow. And the reason I am the way I am and the reason I became an entrepreneur and was able to take on all these things, you know, podcasting, book writing, stuff like that is because... I still think there's something inside me that is wanting to prove all those people on the playground wrong. And it's a little bit sad to kind of think like that at 36 to think that like, I'm still that gay guy trying to prove all the people that believe me that I am lovable and important. And, uh, and that I'm something that they didn't say like they, something other than what they said I was. And, um, that constitution that I've built over the years, is invaluable and i do really feel like i can take on anything uh, whether that's starting a business writing a book now i'm doing music actually at the moment because i have built up this really intense relationship with myself where no matter what i know i'll be okay and i know i can rely on myself and that people will betray me and break my heart but there's a person here that is going to be okay as long as I have myself. And that self-concept is 
especially with younger generations now who rely so heavily on external validation, that self-concept in them is really lacking. And so it's kind of wacky to say like, you know, I'm so thankful for being bullied and, you know, my dad abandoning our family and all the different things in my life. But I wouldn't, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have all those things. Yeah, it's kind of the definition of building character um, in a way. And that's that's an incredible growth mindset to have, um, to, to be able to see things in that light. Um, so I, I'd love to talk about some of the changes you made. You talked about removing a lot of things. What were some of those things? What did you replace them with? Um, and, and how did that affect you? Sure. So one of Paul's things that he talks about that is very, let's say, controversial when you bring it up at dinner parties, but um, I... I wasn't really hyper attuned to how my body was responding to certain foods. You know, I think a lot of people are like that unless they do an elimination diet or some of these tests that you can do now. And over the years, I there were things I would eat and then immediately feel like crap, uh, like spinach and kale is a perfect example. But that kale has great PR, you know, like that's all you hear now is kale, kale, kale chips. You know, you just got to get some green smoothies in your body. And Paul really talks about... Um, the fact that if you eat too much of these these plants, you know, lectins, oxalates, different defense chemicals in the actual plants, that it's not great for your body. Plus, of course, how they're prepared, right? The pesticides and the herbicides and the glyphosates and the different things that go into these these products. So when I started eating Paul's diet, which was largely just, you know, minimal fruit, the meat uh, and the dairy, which never bothered me. So dairy was fine. Um, I was already starting from that sort of baseline of like, okay, these none of these things bother me. So it's time to start introducing things back into my life. And let's see one by one. Let's get hyper attuned to how you feel, not just physically, but mentally. You know, for example, something that I kind of always had a glass or two of was wine. And so much of wine has the sulfites in them. And so I would go to my mom's house and I'd have, you know, a few glasses of wine over dinner and then I would try to sleep and I would get the worst insomnia till like two, three, four in the morning. And I could never figure out why it felt like almost there was a steroid in my body that was keeping me up. And so I started to do that with every food that I was enjoying. And, you know, we know the, we know the bad ones. We know the let's just say most of the stuff in the grocery store, let's say 90% of the grocery store, the middle aisles, we know that stuff's already processed and to avoid that because it's got 40, 50 ingredients and some of the stuff that's been banned in Europe. But um, we don't think of like things like broccoli. We don't think of things like kale. We don't think of certain fruits. We don't think of nuts is another one. And so I just kind of went through and would add something in and then I'd kind of keep a little bit of a journal and say to myself, you know, don't buy this. So I would write down, you know, had kale. And it, one time I had this like kale spinach thing and I got really, really sick an hour later. And so I just would, I started that on my list. So my grocery list is is unorthodox in a way in that it's it's more what doesn't affect me, where some people kind of go the other way. Like, you know, oh, I like these foods. And it's like, well, no, these are the foods that don't bother me. And um it becomes boring, definitely, <laughs> um, over time. But when you've been living in hell for so long, 
you don't really miss those little foods as much because it's really that trade-off of like, well, I sleep better. My skin looks great. You know, my sex life's better. My friendships are better. I'm a happier person who can actually vacation now. Um, so I don't really need those things as much. And that's almost like also another lesson in itself in that like, why am I reaching for XYZ alcohol? You know, let's examine why I need 12 drinks or, or, or the kind of alcohol I was consuming before. So it forces you to kind of kick off that whole thing. But the the other part of this whole thing that's so interesting to me is that when I was able to get my colitis under control largely with food, I then had a conversation with a person who I don't, I won't reveal their identity, but a close person, a friend of mine who spent 30 years in the beauty industry. And their job was essentially to regulate different beauty products and uh, different household products. And what I learned from that conversation is that what I said earlier is there's not a lot of money in integrity, meaning this person would explain to me the processes by which various products were put on the market. So example, it'd be a new product for women. And the trials consisted of, we took 30 women for three months and none of them got a rash. And we put it on the shelves now and 2 million people, 2 million women slathered on their largest organ every day. <laughs> and we think there's these checks and balances in place. And there is to a degree in these bodies, but in later stages of capitalism, they get captured, right? You know, the idea of agency capture with the FDA and stuff like that. So I had a conversations with him at length, like I'm talking like 30, 40 hours. That was like, it was like a horror show. Like he would tell me that people are probably listening to this right now are like, <laughs> huh? Um, he would tell me this one product he worked on where it was women's makeup and he and his team concluded that it would very likely cause lung cancer in women if they used it. It's sort of a spray. And uh, the company, which is a very large company, came to him and said, um, thank you for your services, but you're no longer needed. And then he said about a year later, he saw it was one of the hottest products in Allure or one of those beauty magazines for women. Wow. And yeah, and it goes back to this conversation about self-reliance is that like, and, and this can be seen as depressing in some way or kind of empowering in that like, I don't really believe as many people are looking out for me out there as, as people want to believe, you know, your politicians, but even like your corporations, your governing bodies that I then said, well, screw this. I'm getting things out of my house that I've been using on my largest organ and disrupting my microbiome, things as simple as my Tide clothing wash or my dishwasher or detergent, anything that I could have remnants on and then eat and put in my body and could start to disrupt my system. And when I took apart my bathroom, my kitchen, changed my laundry detergent, started cleaning my house with basically just a couple drops of uh, organic soap, rubbing alcohol, a couple drops of a scent. Um, all of a sudden, the anxiety and depression that I also had, which I thought was just ingrained in my Irish genetics, uh, was gone. And, you know, I've been on probably four or five SSRI medications over my lifetime. And I just sort of thought, seeing my dad and seeing my dad's family, I just thought that, well, this is just 
that the side of my genes that's because I'm Irish and Italian, this is the Irish side and we're just sort of depressed people. And that's just how it is. And then in the months after that, as I started doing that, I was in Costa Rica and Florida and kind of traveling. And I had a moment where I was like, oh, this is also what it's like to not have a mental illness. (laughs) Like I don't have a physical illness now, but I also don't have a mental illness. And I got to see what other people, you know, what it's like to just kind of get up out of bed in the morning or not have to set an alarm clock or not have to cut social situations short because your anxiety is, you know, overwhelming. And so the combination of those two things, and this is what I outlined in my book because people were asking me, and it, and it sounds complex, but it's really just going back to these blue zones in our primordial existence is that like, get everything out of your life that isn't supposed to be there. Like you don't need to have all these chemicals in your house. And there's actually great alternatives to those things, toothpaste, deodorant, stuff like that. And that was to me having these conversations with this guy and then changing all this stuff in my house and watching my entire body change. Like I'm talking like dark circles that I were gone. Um, My hair got thicker. The grays I had on the side of my head were less. I wasn't bloated. I I was a better friend to people. I was a better brother. I was a better, better all these different things. I was like just this like totally different person that I almost didn't recognize. And it, it all came from just living like our ancestors, essentially. Yeah, it, it's, it's incredible how much noise there is too. Um, like you mentioned like realizing what it feels like to not live with those physical and mental um, chains almost. And it's, it's almost like there's just so much noise in our systems that when you remove those things, you become way more aware of Mm -hmm. how you're feeling. Um, We've sort of like numbed ourselves out, gotten out of touch with how we feel, how, how our guts working, all these things. And when you go back to basics and not only like an elimination diet, but like an elimination lifestyle, you can almost see how things affect you a lot more easily. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, you know, doing this, this podcast and, and, and talking to different people and interacting with certain people, do you feel like there's a percentage of people that lack sort of that high trade openness where if you were to have these conversations with them, they would treat you like you were a nut job? Because I find that when I try to tell people about this, my book, I mean, some people see the positive changes in me, but there are people that like, there's something in their head that when you try to tell them that they might be, they shouldn't, you know, they should filter their tap water. There's something in their constitution. I don't know if it's that their ego's under threat, but there's something where I find, and I would say probably 60 to 70% of people, they go, I don't want to hear it. Like, I don't yeah. want to talk. I don't want to go there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I forget what podcast I was listening to, but they were talking about when someone is making a change, whether that's pursuing an entrepreneurial venture or changing their diet or something like that, they'll find that people around them are often trying to talk them out of it or um, be disbelieving or say it's nonsense or be skeptical or be negative. And a lot of times it's a cognitive dissonance because they want to be more fit or start their own business or 
get healthier. Um, and there's two ways for, but they see the contrast between you who's working towards that and themselves. And so it creates a cognitive dissonance. So there's two ways that they can correct that and remove that cognitive dissonance. One is making a change themselves and actually working on their health, their diet, starting that business, whatever it is. The other is trying to bring you back to the state they're in. And so I, I, oftentimes it's easier for people to try to do that by naysaying you, by dismissing what you're doing, by trying to discredit it, by trying to um, call you wacky or, or crazy. And as long as that is easier for them than making an actual change themselves, they'll continue to do that. Sure. Makes sense. It's also like I, you know, I was kicked out of the ulcerative colitis subreddit. <laughs> and I, I went on a whole rant on my podcast, which is uh, called Unmentionable. I do it every Friday. And I went on this whole rant about, uh, you know, we talk so much about the media controlling information and that's definitely true. But, you know, there's also these really rigid ideological silos online that uh, are controlled and they don't realize how they're sort of like conduits for whatever neoliberal agenda is is kind of rushing through meaning like one of the rules on the ulcerative colitis subreddit is you can't try to link disease the disease and diet um and if you do that they're very angry with you because i think they see it as a personal attack on the people there meaning when i have raised I've tried to kind of go on there and, you know, I don't even need to at this point, like I have a lot of stuff going on, but I really yeah. am coming from a place of wanting to help people. People will bite my head off because I think they feel like I'm saying it's your fault to them. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's like the whole, um, you know, like healthy at every size and um, fit shaming. It, it's, it's all the same flavor. Um, it's funny you bring that up about neoliberalism. So I want to ask you, um, what is your opinion on like the shift that seems to have happened in the health community and society in general from like liberals almost becoming more censoring and more conservative in a lot of ways and like liberal media being like, you can't say this, you can't say that, like restricting freedom of speech and restricting like I'm not coming at this from any political affiliation myself. I, mm -hmm. I'm kind of just a libertarian. I think everyone should do whatever they want. But it it seems ironic that you know in like university settings, I've heard this happens a lot. And um, you mentioned on on the the even the ulcerative colitis subreddit, like you can't talk about certain things because they could be offensive to certain people's delicate sensibilities. How do you, how do you think about that? Well, you know, I'm kind of, I fancy myself a little bit of a media critic because for about 12 years, I worked in various facets of the media. I was a producer, I was a reporter, I was a writer, I've been a publicist as well. And um, one of the things that I would say is more common among, I, I'm kind of like you, I, I don't really, I don't even vote because I just, that's its own conversation. But um, I wouldn't consider myself right wing or left wing. I just consider myself I'm very heterodox and anything against the power center is really what I'm into. So I'm kind of anti-war, anti-big pharma. But traditionally, when you look at, I, I guess, this kind of iteration of liberals, it's that, you know, there's there's kind of like, first of all, there's the limousine liberal, right? And it's the person that loves institutions and they love those institutions because those institutions have largely benefited them. So 
you know, that's wealthy people. So they call them the limousine liberals, you know, the West Coast liberals, the academia, stuff like that. They love those institutions and they don't want to question them. And there's so more to them because, you know, why would I question those? They've given me this great salary and this great life. And I can't even understand the, the struggles of working class people. But in the 90s, you know, it was so, it's so funny how everything's kind of flipped because in the 90s, the right wing was sort of the nut jobs with the Bush and Cheney's and the pro-war people. And the yeah. traditional liberal or leftist was anti-war, anti-CIA, anti-FBI, anti-power anti centers, let's say. Yeah. And that was, you know, if you watch a, a great kind of way to look at it is if you watch Glenn Greenwald, who I'm a big fan of. The, you know, as an independent journalist, everyone considers him, he, you know, he's the right wing guy now when he was the left wing guy. And um, it's because the flip is that I think what happens is when people kind of feel like something's off in society, they try to look to institutions to save them when they really need to save themselves. And I think what happens is why liberals, they, they see something's wrong now, people on the left, like the kind of society is wrong, you know, whether that's agency capture, media capture, capitalism, different things like that. They see something's wrong. And so they need to turn to someone to save them. Mm -hmm. and then that so then you end up defending these systems that are oppressing you and part of that is also because i i don't know if that's a left or right thing but a lot of people don't understand the systems that are oppressing them so even come you know i would say 90 percent of people don't really understand how the you know the money system's fake like different things like that so you kind of just look for a boogeyman right you kind of look for like well is it this is it that and they trot out different things. You know, it's white supremacy, it's racism, it's, it's you know, different things. You could point to that. But, you know, one of the things that's really funny, and this is a little off on a tangent here, but it's really important for people who know someone who's LGBT or the community. One of the more controversial things that I've said, because I used to host this podcast called Shame on You, and it was one of the biggest LGBT podcasts. And my friends are like, you know, why don't you do more, you know, advocacy work for like gay guys and stuff like that. And I said to someone the other day, I was like, you know, the battles have kind of been won for the gay guys. Like we can become the CEO of Apple. We can get married. You know, what else do you want me to do? And what's behind a lot of this stuff is there are institutions, these LGBT NGOs that, you know, 99% of their money now has to go towards something. So they, it's the faux outrage cycle. So um, there's a genocide of trans people. And then you look it up and it's like 30 trans people were murdered. And a lot of those were sex workers. And that's kind of commensurate with the amount of sex workers that get, that get murdered. But a lot of people, you just, they're busy and they watch, they, they don't have time. They're on TikTok and stuff like that. So you just have to kind of dangle things for someone for them to get mad at. Yeah. And so that that's really what I think this new stage of the left is is that they they they're in these they're addicted to this outrage cycle and these ngos are kind of messing with them and the corporations are messing with them and the security states messing with them and they can't kind of figure it out and so well what do they need to point to well it's all conservatives or independents yeah. or variants uh, at the same time and i think that's largely what's behind a lot of it even though that was kind of long-winded no, no, that's super interesting take. I really appreciate that. And I'm going to lose everyone now and say like the conservatives have just as many issues. You talk about like people needing to focus on themselves to fix their problems. And I think the conservatives have gone from um, like relying on systems like war 
not war per se, but um, you talk about like big corporations and um, keeping tax rates down and, and all these things. Now, now they're anti-system, anti-big um, government, anti-all these things. Um, and like basically saying it's the systems that are causing these problems. It's the systems that are um, at fault. When, when again, like on an individual level, um, I, I also don't vote. <laughs> um, on an individual level, like voting and trying to change government, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but your efforts are like so meaningless if you think about the 300 million people in the US at least. Um, like there's so much more you can do to help yourself and those around you um, locally. Looks uh, like it, my therapist said, sorry to interrupt, but my therapist always yeah. says this, said this line to me, it's extremely basic, but I, I really tell people, I probably think it three to four times a day, I stop and think it, and it's just, what can you control? So in anything in life, you know, speaking of my health, is that like why I fixed my mental health is because that's all I have is my mind. The world can be crazy around me, but I've got my mind, uh, you know, with my physical health. I've only got this body. I'm only, I have to, I'm responsible for this body. So it's what I put in this body. And, you know, it's very empowering when you say to people, you know, your life is a series of thousands of thousands and thousands of decisions. You decide who you talk to, who you have sex with, who you date, who you, what you put in your body, what media you consume. Every aspect of that is your responsibility. And I find that very empowering, but a lot of people who don't have a self-concept or directionless, they hear that and they have a meltdown. And it's because they need a savior. You know, we're wired, we're the tribe. We need the person that comes and, and saves us. And for them, that's AOC or Donald Trump or whatever it is. But I always say to people, no, you you need to go and be your own hero um, with your health and stuff like that. Or, you know, business-wise, the way I live is uh, largely kind of removed from the system. You know, I'm an internet entrepreneur. I do marketing, but I do minimal interaction with clients because I, I only take on people that I personally enjoy because I want to see them succeed. Um, but I kind of live outside the system. You know, I don't really consume mainstream media. I I do what I want all day. I don't really answer to a lot of people. So that's what I advocate for. But, you know, most people want someone to take care of them. Most people don't really care that much about their rights. They just want someone to kind of get in there and take the the reins of their life and push them in certain directions or they want to blame their ex but the reality is is you stayed you decided you picked this person and you tolerated that behavior and it really does come down to this awakening that a I, I really push for a lot of people to go through it is that like you really need to take the reins on almost every aspect of your life and i don't mean that you can't rely on people I, you know, I advocate for love and friendships. Those, those things are extremely important. But at the end of the day, like you need to be responsible for every micro facet of your life. And I do believe that's too scary for a lot of people. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's overwhelming <laughs> for a lot of people. Um, Jordan, can you talk about um, like in addition to diet um, and removing a lot of these things from your life, what are some other things that you found helpful uh, mentally or physically, um, other um, parts of your daily routine or things you've done to upgrade your your uh, mindset, your business um, that you found really helpful for you? I, on the diet side, uh, I think the biggest culprit is uh, seed oils. I think 
I think if you can find, listen, 99% of restaurants use seed oils. So you're in trouble there if you eat a lot, but um, getting seed oils out of your life, uh, just getting seed oils out of your life and filtering your shower water and your tap water can dramatically improve your life. I have told people, you know, they say, where do I start? You know, I've got this autoimmune disease. And I say, just start with those three. I don't want to overwhelm you. Um, and then I would say for them to start with a very basic diet and sort of add things in and see how their body responds and be very honest with themselves. And then um, the secondary aspect I would say is to take every, try to find an alternative for almost every product in your house that you use. That's good. You know, I, I have a bunch of them in my book, but uh, I use Nelly's laundry detergent. It's just as good as Tide and uh, it's scentless. You know, you're not getting any of the fragrance issues and it's not going to mess up your hormones like different different products do. So I would go through and kind of do that. Um, the other thing is, this is a very small one, but it has changed my life a great deal. I, you know, I'm half Irish, half Italian. I can tan, but um, not well. And so I take this supplement called ashwazanthin, which is, the spellings all over the place, but I take this supplement. It's in, uh, you're nodding, so you know, but uh, it's like flam in flamingos and crabs, and it's like an internal sunscreen. So I went to the Caribbean, and uh, I'm not a huge fan of traditional sunscreen because of my conversations with this person. So uh, I have an organic sunscreen, just zinc oxide, basically, I put on my face, and then I take the ashwazanthin, and I have gone out in the sun in Anguilla for hours and not burned which I think is also tied to the oxidizing with the seed oils and stuff like that. So those are the things I start with. I also do little things. I've got a red light therapy machine in my house, which is just kind of a, a splurge that I did. Um, it's about six feet tall. I do that. I do uh, end of my showers. I do to get some the shock proteins going. I, I do the last 30 seconds cold every day, which is also really great for your hair. Um, so these are all different things I go through. And then the new thing I've been doing that's really great is uh, I've been reading a lot about blue light and its effects on your health. You know, staring, you shouldn't be staring at your screen at night anyways, because you don't want to, you want to be able to sleep well. But I've been wearing blue light blocking uh, glasses at, at night. So after 8 p.m., I kind of block that light out. I kind of get my house in a way that it's a candle lit. So it also helps me kind of wind down. You can throw in some magnesium, L-theanine. I like GABA as well to kind of get yourself off to sleep. And there's different things in my book I talk about like sleep wise. Mentally, <laughs> I mean, I think mentally, like this all, this stuff's all kind of just, you know, Amazon and, and altering things in your life and your grocery order, which, you know, it, for a lot of people, it's like, that's the easy part. Yeah. Mentally, uh, I think mentally and career wise, career wise, I say to people in the times we're in, you want as much autonomy over your life as possible, whether that's, you know, trying to get out of the traditional money system and stuff like that. But, but I think largely if you are someone who thinks that you could run a business, the way to approach that is to find the thing that you want to still do at three in the morning and you want to do alone at three in the morning. Uh, if you don't have any love for the thing that you are doing, it's going to be a nightmare. So I think sit with yourself for 30 days and say, what is the thing that I wanted when I was a kid before the world took over and and kind of figured out and for me I've always been interested in people so that's why I went into marketing and writing because I, I just love social psychology and stuff like that and then mentally um this one's I would say is a little more fringe but I I'm a big advocate for having a small social circle 
I think when you divide your time between a lot of people, you start to give them aspects of yourself that you you feel drained. And um, beyond your immediate family, I keep a you know I keep a friendship circle of about four or five people that I'm really close with and I've been friends with forever. Um, people that enrich enrich my life and make me want to be a better person. You know that saying: you're the average of the five people in your life. Um, but I think the the final aspect of all this and why I was able to tackle these things in life is that like you need to develop, you need to have a com a, a really intense exploration of why you are the way you are. Meaning, you think your personality is is something that's interwoven in your DNA, but the personality that you have is really how you survived growing up. So you are, you know, me, I, you know, I take over a room, I'm extroverted, you know, which probably comes from an insecurity level, but largely because that's how I got noticed when I was growing up. And until you, you have to go on that journey to really understand yourself. If people say to me, you know, how can you go to Thailand five weeks alone and not be lonely? And it's like, because I like myself, I like being with myself. You know, I, I don't spend years alone, I don't spend six months alone, but I like being with myself. And that's because I actually went on the journey to understand who the hell I am and to be able to look at myself in the mirror and the choices that I've made and say, and say like, I like this person and I can rely on this person. But that is the, the hardest part of this whole thing is really who are you and what makes you tick. And the biggest thing that I've learned is that quiet, confidence is quiet. And you think when you're younger, you know, you're 25, you're like, oh, that, that guy's got so much confidence. And it's so funny to me because I realize the most confident people I know are quiet and they don't have social media. It's because they're working, they're putting in the hours and they're they're trying to figure out who they are. And they're not, you also will notice they're calm. They don't get triggered. So they're able to kind of distance themselves from, you know, if someone's projecting onto them, like you said earlier, you know, people project onto you what they need you to be. They're able to have this self-concept where they go, they don't even get flustered because they go, oh, that's you. That's your childhood. That's your insecurities. That's what you need me to be for you to be okay. And I've studied these people. I've studied really hyper successful people. I've been around them. And one of the things I notice is they're very even keel and that they don't get flustered when something comes up in their life. And, uh, and, and learning why you get triggered and why someone bothers you and that whole unraveling is you know, a really long conversation, but it's something that I really tell people, like, if you can study yourself on a daily basis, which sounds like intense narcissism, but if you can unravel yourself, one of the things you will learn, like, you know, this is why I'm pursuing music now is because, you know, I did comedy for so long because I was a broken person with a lot of trauma that needed to survive. And I got really good at the skill of putting up a barrier and making jokes to just make sense of all my trauma. And now that I'm in this really good place, I'm pursuing music because it allows me to actually display the person that I am, which is actually a, a more emotional person who is sensitive in a lot of ways and has a lot of pain that I want to express in a different way. And it's why I find myself pulling away from comedy more because I don't need that thing as much because people like Teal Swan made me realize that like, there's two people inside me. There's the like clown, but there's also that person that really is trying to connect with people. And I don't love this person as much anymore because I did the work. 
And so now I'm trying to be this person and this person feels better right now for me in a sense. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I think that work is really hard to do <laughs> and it can take, take a long time and you have to keep doing it is the tricky part. Um, yeah, it's funny you talk about the loudest person and like quiet confidence. I, I so much resonate with that. It applies to so many aspects of life too. So many areas, like I, I still work in a, in a corporate job. Um, and it's so funny. You can tell the people who are the least confident because in a meeting, they'll be speaking fast and really raising their voice to be heard. And you can tell that person is just not confident in themselves or their opinions. And, you know, the, the people with the most gravitas, the people who are, are most secure, they'll kind of wait, talk slowly, make a few small comments, and usually everyone listens. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of young people, especially starting out in careers or, or entrepreneurship, they'll, they think they need to talk really loud and they need to talk really fast because they're nervous that they'll, uh, lose people if they don't. Um, but yeah, I absolutely resonate with what you're saying about quiet confidence. It's really, yeah. Well, I said someone, I would never date someone who posts more than three Instagram stories a day. <laughs> My friend was like, why? And I'm like, because think about what that is. That's like, look at me, look at my lunch. Look at my lunch. <laughs> That's good life yeah, advice. I haven't been on Instagram posting stories for months because yeah. uh, I feel okay. I don't need to show everyone, you know, I'm working on music and I'll post it on there to get people listening. But I'm like, yeah. I don't, especially, you know, when you're like 38 and you're like posting 12 Instagram stories a day of all the show <laughs> in your life, like it, it just kind of, yeah. It, I don't know. Just it, it is. I think people don't realize it is what it is. Like they don't realize yeah. what they're kind of projecting out to everyone. And, yeah. and I feel really bad for this younger generation because it's like, you know, you you can easily knock them off just by they don't get a, a minimum amount of likes on something and they're <laughs> like ruined. Yeah. And we had. I don't know how old you are, but like I, you know, how old are you? Thirty-one. Okay, so like. I'm 36 and like, I didn't have a cell phone until I was 20 and I didn't have social media till I was 19 or so. So I grew up in a different time where we weren't so moored to what other people thought of us uh, so intensely. And um, I really do feel bad for these younger people. Like I, I, um, I've tried to hire them <laughs> because like, they're like aliens to me. Like, I don't, yeah. they, they are, they really think you're, I think it's because social media, they think you're participating in the movie about their life. Yeah. The yep. Yeah. I, I didn't have social media until I was basically out of college. Um, so similar grew up in the time of the flip phone. <laughs> um, and yeah, I remember those days fondly. It's changed a lot. <laughs> what do you work um, in? You said you worked in cor corporation. Do you? Yeah. So I, I've, I've worked in mergers and acquisitions for a variety of growth stage tech companies right now. The company I'm at, um, helps fight credit card fraud. Mm. So, yeah. So I look for other technology companies for them to buy. What drew you to doing this podcast and sort of the alternative health realm? Um, so I, uh, I 
found the carnivore diet back in 2016. You mentioned Paul Saladino. I've had him on like four times. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, I basically coming out of college, I was a competitive lightweight rower. Um, and I had a lot of health issues from that. I also worked, you know, in very stressful 90 hour work week, corporate environments, management, consulting, investing, um, and that took a toll on me. And so I was looking for something. I basically went through my own health journey around that. Um, and then I listened to a bunch of podcasts. So I started the show, um, back in 2018. Um, and I've just put out an episode every week since, and it's been, it's been a blast just talking to people. Yeah. Good for you, man. I, I, you know what? I, I, a lot of doctors, I call them pompous, which I kind of can because <laughs> Yeah, I think I feel like people like you contribute just as much as a traditional brain surgeon or a doctor like that, because, you know, I think these two things can really work in harmony, the traditional medical system and more holistic alternative health. I, you know, a lot of doctors, you know, they go, I got a degree from Harvard. Like, how dare you kind <laughs> of say these things to me? And it's like, no, you know, we're, we need to unify a lot of people right now. And it's like, if, if what you put out or what I put out or what Paul Saladino puts out keeps one more person out of the ER or, you know, getting a colonoscopy, then we can actually allow that system to serve the people that are really sick, that have cancer, that have, you know, are 75 years old. Uh, or some sort of calamity in their life, like a car accident, that's what that system's meant for. And those two things really can work in harmony. But I will tell you that like doing this, I have gotten really, and I'm not trying to be a health influencer. I'm really just like a internet entrepreneur who does pot. Like I just, but it was just so many people were asking me for things. So I just wrote this book yeah. and it's like so many people in the traditional system think that I'm doing this as an attack on them. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to make your your day less packed with patients. <laughs> I'm trying to like, you know, keep the system open for people. Yeah. And um, it really is people's egos are so intense, particularly in that profession, that I can't believe that me telling people to have bone broth every day. I cannot believe the reaction that it's elicited from from meta, you think you think bone broth's gonna cure this? And I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm standing right here. I had anxiety, depression. I had chronic disease. You know, my stepdad had heart issues. I know two people with ulcerative colitis that I've helped kind of just get rid of it. And it's like we're right here. You know, we're we're Kenny Hannes on YouTube. We're the holistic Nick on Twitter. It's the same situation as me. I had him on my podcast. It's like we're we're standing right here. We're not like holograms. Yeah. <laughs> This is real and um, there are small changes you can even make in your life that could, but I don't know if it's just like a kind of evolution that certain people are just wired to be rule followers and yeah. it's sort of just their path in life is that they're destined to not question the systems and they're destined to be led into different ways. And I don't know how much I should interfere with that. In yeah. Way. Yeah. I, I mean, the anecdotes are extremely powerful and, uh, I agree. I think the two systems can definitely work in harmony for sure. Um, or, or the lack of system in the system. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is also like our parents' generation very much was like, look to authority, trust your doctor, trust authority. Um, and so yeah, I think some of that is changing. 
Um, yeah. It still exists in in people our age and younger people. But I think I think it is. I think in general people are becoming more open minded. Um, but there's a lot of BS out there too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the problem is you can never figure out. You start getting alternative and heterodox. Some people don't know when to pump the brakes. Yeah. And like, oh, sh- you know, shove a crystal up your rectum or whatever, whatever nonsense yeah. people are, are feeding you. And then yeah. they go, you know, it's like when someone's a conspiracy theorist, it's like, oh, they think that you're, you've gone QAnon. But really, their definition of conspiracy theory is just questioning the motives of big pharma, which are corporations that pay billions in fines for for committing fraud. Yeah. So that's also, but they kind of put it all in there. So that's another thing. You just have to kind of really have long conversations and explore nuance with people because that's where almost everything lives Mm. is in that shades of gray nuance. But now we live in this clickbait time where it's like, uh, you know, psycho Christian theocracy gays need to burn, and then like wacky rainbow hair Portland person communist, and that's kind of all we're fed. Forgetting yeah. that most people live in that ninety percent middle. Yeah, say. yeah, yeah. It doesn't help that all the algorithms draw us to one side or another. Too. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Jordan. This has been a pleasure. I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but um, where can people find the book? And I'll, of course, have links to everything about you in the show notes as well, if you want to plug anything. Sure. So um, my marketing firm is Gray Smoke Media. We do very elite marketing. Uh, our minimum is 10 grand a month. So if you know, if you, if you, if you're, if that's not on your budget, don't contact us. But um, that's what I do kind of on a regular basis. And then I host a podcast called Unmentionable every Friday. And then this book's called The Freedom Blueprint. Uh, you can put it in the show notes or the YouTube or whatever. And then um, I'm deleting my Twitter because I'm, I, I've had enough. So um, <laughs> I'm probably going to have a burner account just to look at alternative news. But I'm really going all in on music for the next six to eight months. And so I just don't want to be distracted. So don't follow me on Twitter. I'm about to delete it, but I do have an Instagram. Uh, it's at J power comedy. And uh, you can just DM me there. And I kind of post things there. I don't post a lot, but um, I'll post a link to this book in my bio. If you want to check it out and it's just on uh, Gumroad. I just did it very alternative and it's only $25. I just put it really pretty low for people just so they can go into it. But um, really, really like some of it you might be reading and going like, this is a little wacky, but like things like I do nice and flushes. I don't know if you've done those, Scott. Yeah. 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 So you know, like I can, with it too. Yeah. I've done that. I've done yeah. that with the red light machine and stuff like that. I do, I do kind of a little, little wacky stuff, but I will tell you, you know, that every time I try something new that was supposed to be wacky, it's not that wacky. Yeah. So, um, I feel great. So it's, it's like, I'm, I put that all in there. So if you guys want to check it out and then I'm also going to write one called, uh, how not to go bold. And, um, because I'm realizing from this book, is it a lot more of the <laughs> stuff? Like, you know, I think certain people are just meant to go bald because they have bad genetics. But I also think like, if you look at how young people are going bald, like, so much younger they're starting to lose their hair at like 21 now yeah um i want to kind of examine that and the hormone aspect to that and um you know one of the things i do use is like a shampoo bar is one of the things i it's just like a very basic shampoo bar because the sulfites in or sulfates sorry in the shampoo and other chemicals are linked to hair loss there's a bunch of class action lawsuits in the u.s against shampoo companies so um 
So I'm going to do that. And so I'll, I'll post that on my Instagram as well. And, uh, and cool. people want to read that as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Sounds cool. Um, yeah. Great. Well, thanks again, Jordan. I'll, I'll have links to all of that. And folks should definitely check out the book. Um, and thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the show. You can find The Scott My Show on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Please leave a comment, like, review, or share the podcast with your friends or followers. It helps more people find the show.